Hello everybody, welcome to Farfetched Stories. My name is Ariam Verberg and I'm your host on here. I am so glad to be back guys. It was the first time in 10 episodes that I took a break. Um, I was ill and uh, they're just crazy times. I, uh, I was physically ill, but it was definitely also everything going on in the world right now. Not really sure what to say about that other than black lives matter, trans lives matter. Everybody get involved, do the work and let's all try to figure out a better world together because I still believe that we can. And that is actually one of the big reasons I write. So yeah. Anyway, today we're on to episode 11 already of The Raven's Toll and it's it's gonna be a doozy. Shit is definitely about to hit the fan. Last week we saw the raven getting slightly unhinged in episode 10. This week it reaches a breaking point and nothing in his life and the lives of those around him is ever going to be the same. So stay tuned. As always, I want to thank Louisa Mitchell for text editing and Diana Moore for narrating this episode. Alex Liu provided the music. And if you want to know more about the project, you can go to remverberg.com. That's also where you can find my socials so you can let me know what you think about the Ravenstall. For now, enjoy this episode. Thank you for listening and have a great day. The Raven's Toll, Episode 11, Spark to a Flame It was a sorry group of people that sat in a clearing, that second evening of their mission. The squad had walked for miles and miles, but they were still not past the darkest depths of Magoya Forest. Most of the night and into the early morning, they had been surrounded by the endlessly tall, straight trees they'd entered the previous evening a somber cathedral that echoed back at them from all sides. Finally, they had reached another part of the forest, albeit no less dangerous. Here, there was more light, more sky. The slightly hilly terrain made them feel like they were coming up for air. The trees, however, grew wider and wider, their trunks winding around the hills like great snakes, moving almost imperceptibly. Their foliage was tiny in comparison, small, silvery leaves that threw dappled light onto the backs of the utils as they helped each other across the enormous trunks. It was a brooding landscape, one that felt like it could attack at any minute. A perfect place to go mad. Everyone was exhausted. After forcing the utils to march through the first night, the raven had convinced Kuras not to let up on them the next day either apart from a few breaks. The march had devolved into a nightmare. The raven had controlled everyone's moods as best he could, but there wasn't much initial optimism in the utils for the skill to work with, especially when he was simultaneously using it to wear the sparrow down, forcing her to reveal the location of the Remian leadership. He'd been feeling her skill wax and wane for hours, his mind lighting up, then going dark again. He'd thought that he was the stronger of the two, but after almost two full days of hide-and-seek, he was no longer so sure. All he could do was hold on to that tiny spark in the back of his mind, that tiny sliver of hope. He couldn't afford to let it go. Not now. 
not when he was this close to saving everyone. The spark of skill consumed all of his thoughts, leaving no room for anything else. He ignored the sad-looking camp the squad had made in a small clearing between giant tree roots, close to a narrow stream, with smoky fires they shouldn't have started in the first place. He ignored Kuras, who'd sagged down by a fire of his own, his once shiny uniform coat a mess of tears and stains. He even ignored Zori, who whispered urgently in the ear of one of their comrades, before quietly making their way towards him. The raven had purposefully chosen a spot slightly apart from the group. A large green lesna thorn was between them and him, its burgundy stems with their glowing green thorns providing the privacy he so badly needed. It barely allowed him to keep his focus on the signal in his mind. Was it growing stronger, or was that just his imagination? He was so tired, his head was spinning. When he saw Zori approach, he didn't even manage a smile. They didn't seem to mind, sitting down beside him gracefully, on the side that was farthest away from the camp. In the deepening shadows, all that stood out was their green skin, accentuated by the light tips of the thorns behind them. He sensed their exhaustion, but also a deep, growing defiance, an emotion that was both joyful and scary to behold. "'Are you as tired as you look?' they asked. He shrugged. "'I think we're all tired.' They nodded and stretched their arms over their head, rolling their spine like a witta. Suddenly, the space between them grew dense. His focus started to slip. While he had been busy following the Remian signal, their affections had grown, wild and unchecked. Simultaneously, his own barriers had lowered. Now their feelings hit him in full force. He was so tired. He may not experience humans' desires— but with Zori sitting so close, the need to be held, to be lost in someone's embrace, was suddenly near. Their emotion, originally, but transferred almost seamlessly unto him. The feeling startled him, an unexpected stranger knocking on his door. I came to tell you something's going to happen, Zori said urgently, dragging him from his thoughts. The squad won't stand for this much longer. Stand for what? He said, blinking, trying to free himself from a tangle of emotions. The way Lass is treating us, they said. The raven blinked again. For the first time in two days, he got a sense of the real atmosphere around him. Of course, they had no idea. They thought Kuras was pushing them this hard. No, wait, he said hastily, turning to Zori. You don't know the full story. It's not his fault. They shook their head. How long are you going to defend him, T.A.? I know you're loyal, though I have no clue why. But it doesn't matter anymore. This is reality now, and we have to deal with it. Wait, what's reality? His mind was running. He was helping Kuras and the squad. He just needed a little more time. Zori bent even closer, their mouth next to his ear. Mutiny they whispered. His thoughts cut off abruptly. It was like being doused with cold water. He shook his head again, running his hands through his long hair. That makes no sense, he said. It's not Kuros. He looked up, feeling the full weight of what he was about to say. It's me. A stunned silence. 
That is ridiculous, Sori said. I heard him give the commands. I was there. They shook their head. And besides, you would never mistreat us over a pointless mission like this. He opened his mouth to tell them it wasn't pointless, but stopped. Explaining the mission would be too risky, especially since it required revealing Kuros's treason. A slight panic overtook him. How could he make Sori see? His mind clouded over again, everything swimming together. All these people who had trusted him. All these people he'd failed. Kuras, the first time the raven had seen him. A handsome, arrogant, privileged commander. And Kuras now, eager to give his life for a greater cause, but possibly stabbed in the back before he could do so. Thetis, young and mischievous, her long red hair spilling over her shoulders, and an older, more earnest Thetis, who'd finally started to trust him, only to have her life ripped away from her. And finally, there was Zori. Zori, who had trusted him from the beginning, in spite of everything they'd gone through. Was he really going to tell them how he'd managed to lead the squad? The Contellians were in their current position because of the Vanta. Revealing he was one of them would shatter Zori. T.A. Zori put a hand over one of his own, stilling it where it had been fiddling with his hair. I don't know what to do, he blurted out unexpectedly. I know, they said soothingly, their fingers drawing feather-light circles on the back of his hand. Their touch reverberated through his entire being. Desperately, he clung to the remainder of whatever rational thought he had. A drop of clarity fell into the puddle of chaos that was his mind. Why did you come here? he asked. Their hand stilled on his. What do you mean? Here, to me, he said. I saw you whispering to the other soldier before. What did you say? If you really think Koros is responsible for everything, why not just execute your plans? Zori removed their hand and looked down. You once told me Laos and I would both have a role to play in establishing peace, they said slowly, and that it's not the job of a leader to destroy. I thought a lot about that. A smile quivered on their lips. You've changed my life, T.A. You made me see it's not my job to assign life and death to people. So no matter how crazy Lost gets, I need to honor my belief. I don't want to have a part in his death. So you plan to stop it? He asked. They fell silent, and then he felt it. An opening. It would be so easy to wiggle his way in, to latch onto all those wonderful, blossoming emotions they had for him, and bend them in his favor. Zori's eyes rested on his, calm, trusting. Briefly, he was back in the tent, his hands resting on Kuros's chest, the heart that had started beating again underneath his fingers. You have no right, he thought, and it sounded like the voice of the sparrow. He swallowed hard and pushed the scale away. All right, you didn't just come for Kuros, he said. So why did you come? A timid smile played across their lips. Don't you know? They paused. Once again, they reached for his hand. Their scent overwhelmed him, bramble bushes and sweat. 
You mean, he said hesitantly. In that moment, he didn't know if he was buying time, keeping them at arm's length, or reeling them in. All his strategies faded. Time slowed down until there were no more thoughts. Just the gleam in Zori's eyes up close, such a soft, living thing. The back of his mind lit up, a blinding flare. There they are. He jumped up, hair flailing around him, and looked out into the dark. T.A.? T.A.? What weight was keeping him back? His head snapped down. Zori was still holding his hand. He tore it away. Not now. The sparrow had finally snapped. What are you doing? Zori's hurt was a vague sensation, a whiny background noise coming from another room. I have to. He threw his head back. Words. Silly, clumsy words. You have to... What? They got up frantically, trying to see what he saw, but they never could. I have to go. Not a second to waste now. He had to move closer to that light, closer to the way he could save them all. But do not stand in my way, he barked, and Zori stepped back as if he'd hit them. Anger sprung up from their chest like tiny fireflies. He had no time for it. Human emotions were lost on him now. I have to go, he repeated, and was off. As his big strides turned into leaps, something nagged at the back of his mind. Kuras. Something about Kuras. But the light was too bright, the pull too strong. He sped up even more, and lost himself in Magoya Forest. Hey, it's me again. I hope you enjoyed that episode. And if you did, or you have questions or remarks or ideas about where the story is going, I would really love to hear from you. I am really enjoying how this story has been evolving over the weeks and also very happy to be hearing back from you that you're enjoying the story and that you're getting wrapped up in it more and more. That is so motivating for me. So thank you, everybody who let me know that. And you can tweet at me. Or you can find me on Instagram, and for thoughts that won't fit into a tweet, you can also email me. All that information you can find at remverberg.com. And that's also the place to subscribe if you'd like to get email notifications, along with some writer musings and some friendly banter from me. So head over there if you want. I really hope you enjoyed this episode, and I'll catch you for the next one in two weeks. Bye!